rest in peace. <laughs> you're a rich girl and you're gone too far cause Welcome back to Lyrics for Lunch, Season 2, baby! Woohoo! It's the show that makes a fool of ourselves. But what's worse is you make a fool out of... Wait. It's it's the (laughs) show that makes a fool out of you. But what's worse is that you make a fool out of me. You make the life I live foolish. That's right. All right. Done. You're done. Strike three. Get out. I think he can hear... I think she can hear your voice through my headphones and is like, what the fuck is that? I hate that. Oh, no. She hates my voice. All right. I could change it a little. It's wor- it this, seems to be working. Is this better? <laughs> what is this? Who um, am I? I'm Aviv Rubenstein. I'm one of your two hosts. Joining me as always is... Uh, who, who are you? What's your deal? Hello. It is me, Lindsay Tucker, back with a bang, here to bring you all of the useless and slightly useful music trivia. Great. Love that. That you never knew you wanted. Deep dives into famous songs, famous artists. We took a little break. We're back with season two, and people missed us, it seems. Yeah, I think so. We got a lot of requests for different artists and a lot of requests to come back, so we're back. We wouldn't have done it. We're back. We wouldn't have come back, but you That's you brought true. us back. Is it? Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Who's to say? Here we are. Okay, let's get this going. What are we here to discuss today? Uh, we're here to discuss uh, a true banger, Joni Mitchell's Both Sides Now. Yes, Aviv just found out about 10, 15 minutes ago <laughs> that that was the song we were doing today. I think I knew that we were doing Joni Mitchell, but I couldn't. I didn't know the song. You did. You did. But I was wondering... Do you even want to know the song? I do. I, do, I know that, you know, I'm, I'm just here for color commentary. Great. What? Joni Mitchell? Yeah, okay. I'm just practicing. Perfect. So, yeah, tell me, how would you describe Joni Mitchell, like, if she was a character in one of your films? Oh, whoa, whoa, uh, um, I'm fine. Thank you for asking. Um, Sorry I didn't ask, but it's been, like, a lot of contact lately. I, I did not think we needed to do that on the contact. air. <laughs> um, how would I describe Joni Mitchell or like jo- the Joni Mitchell type? Right? Sure. Uh, what do they say about Kat Stratford and 10 Things I Hate About You? Sad Ooh, indie, <laughs> indie rock of the female persuasion. <laughs> um, so Joni Mitchell is a singer-songwriter, is a woman, and does not is is a little bit more folky and i would consider her a little bit more jazzy than your typical pop folk even like a bob dylan or something and her music or her fans her music gets a reputation of like very crunchy emotionally raw fans there's there's a lot of sensitive sensitive people that listen to Joni mitchell who else do we know like that who else do we know that's sensitive? That has sensitive fans. Me. Oh, I do. We have <laughs> us. We have sensitive fans. Who else has sensitive fans? Fucking Come Joe on. Rogan. Oh, no idea. No. Yeah, no I idea. don't. Is, is this like a trap? <laughs> no. 
Uh, moving on. <clears throat> Wait, but who who are, who else do we know who is has an advance? Taylor Swift. Oh yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh t- yes. Taylor Swift. So you were trying to get me to say it, so I would get the hate mail. Yes, Taylor Swift. So so Joni Mitchell and Taylor Swift's music don't sound too similar, but they're. I don't, I, I don't even know if their fans are that similar because Taylor Swift's fans are very energetic. And I think Joni Mitchell fans are too depressed to <laughs> look for hidden numerology in her songs. <laughs> fair, fair, fair. Well, um, in 1974, Time Magazine described Joni this way in an article called Rock's Leading Lady. She is the rural neophyte waiting in a subway, a free spirit drinking Greek wine in the moonlight, an organic earth mother dispensing fresh bread and herb tea, and the reticent feminist feminist who, by trial and error, has charted the male as well as the female ego. Okay. Yeah, so she's 78, I think-ish now, and Rolling Stone called her one of the greatest songwriters ever. In 2007, the Canada Post even featured her on a postage stamp. Wow. <laughs> uh, friend of the show, Sonia Missio, send us some Joni Mitchell stamps. Please. I'd love some for my collection. Okay. So does she also sing Big Yellow Taxi? Yes. And and uh, there's, another, there's another kind of sensitive 70s folky. You're so vain. Is that her? No, that's Carly Simon. Ah, I knew that there was. I, I love that remember song. The that's other. a good one. We should do that one. Yeah, it's Warren Beatty, by the way. Um, minute beams. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, okay, so yeah, as you mentioned, her music is often categorized as folk, heavy jazz influence, and she has some songs like "River," "The Circle Game," which was just featured at the end of "This Is Us." Anybody watch that? Nope. Oh my god! The only you, in fact. So much crying, <laughs> so much crying. Uh, and both sides now appear over and over again in pop culture. Yeah. Both sides now has been covered by Frank Sinatra, Willie Nelson, and Bing Crosby, to name only oh. a few. I'd be interested in hearing like a Frank Sinatra both sides now. Yeah, let's pull it up. Because well, we maybe let's listen to the original first. What? <laughs> and then the cover. <laughs> not to tell you how to do your job but all right uh we'll come back to it so what is the first thing you said to me before we started recording when um yes i said that the only reason that you wanted to do this was so that you could talk about love actually which is in fact not true but it is the reason that i started loving the <laughs> it song is the main reason <laughs> no but it, it was my gateway to the song and yeah. i think that's true for a lot of millennials i agree i agree which I think you're seeing again with like the people gatekeeping running up that hill. Have you seen this on the internet? No. So Kate Bush's running up that hill, parentheses, a deal with God, is prominently featured in the fourth season of Stranger Things. And there are a lot oh, of yeah. like old music heads online being like, how could you just be discovered? Oh, these young kids just discovering Kate Bush. Like, whatever. We all fucking do that. Also, That's it's a period piece. Yeah, yeah. Also that. um yes okay exactly so honestly both sides now in my opinion definitively made its way into millennial hearts through the 2003 christmas classic love actually even though it also appeared in the wonder years you've got mail life as a house madman hereditary and it even played during an aerial performance so weird (laughs) 
And it even played during an aerial. The little girl gets gets decapitated. It's like, look at love from both sides now. Yeah, maybe. I really don't remember and I didn't check it out. (laughs) My neck is fractured. (laughs) Spoilers for Hereditary. Right? (laughs) That little girl's head pops the fuck off. (laughs) So fucked up. Which is where we get the term popping off. Precisely. Precisely. Um, (laughs) It even played during an aerial performance during the Vancouver Winter Olympics opening ceremony in 2010. No. Most recently that I'm aware, it had a starring role in what? I don't know. Another Stranger Things? No. No, Best Picture winner? Best Picture winner, Green Book. Coda. Oh, oh, she does sing it in Coda. And she signs it. Ah, yes. I remember that. I was a medium on that movie. Same, but come on. All right, so this begins my argument or my question to you. Is Both Sides Now the new hallelujah? No, certainly not. <laughs> uh... <laughs> See you next week, everyone. <laughs> I feel like it might be. You So, so that is so your thesis. That's my thesis, and I'm going to try and prove it to you. Okay, so the... You Recap might... what I'm even talking about for those who haven't listened to our Hallelujah episode. They absolutely should. I think it's called the the first part is called the Shrek song. Yeah, the Shrek question mark. <laughs> um, yeah, so so Hallelujah is one of the more famous now songs from Leonard Cohen. It's been covered 18 million times. Um, it's been featured in a lot of movies, and there are five to eighty missing verses that we are still hoping to track down one day. And so I think some of the criteria that, that you might touch on, if I can read your mind a little bit, is the things that made Hallelujah Hallelujah is that it wasn't super popular when it came out and mm-hmm. received popularity from being in hit movies. Mm-hmm. It was covered a lot mm-hmm. and and has become not just a staple of like, doing like revisionist versions but also like um singing competition shows right like like there's always they do like a hallelujah on the voice every season or whatever and the third thing which i think both sides now will will not live up to hallelujah with is that it is this kind of old standard type song where you can write your own verses you can you can add to the tapestry which i don't know if if that's true for for joni for joni's song but you might prove me wrong fucking dare you to prove me wrong just let's just write a verse right now i don't honest i i can't think of the verses so part of joni mitchell's (laughs) style compared to like leonard cohen so leonard cohen especially at hallelujah is like ba-bump 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 it's like a nursery rhyme right and Joni is much more free-flowing rhymes a lot less not not never but she kind of like takes you on a a lilting journey which is like has been attributed to like her feminine like the the feminine way of songwriting versus the masculine way of songwriting um which I don't know if that's necessarily no thank you yeah but (laughs) I've heard I've heard people refer to it like that so yeah, I I don't even know if I could think of a verse of both sides now. Great. Well, um, we're gonna hear it right now. <laughs> Great. 
just uh, one verse or just all the verses? Well, here. You're right about the f- fact that there are several versions which is similar to Hallelujah. Sure. And similarly with Hallelujah, Joni isn't the person that took this song to the charts and brought it into oh. popular vernacular. Interesting. Because of this, there is a parallel sort of narrative where Joni Mitchell reclaimed reclaimed both sides now later in her career, which I think Leonard Cohen did a little yeah, bit as well. Ex- exactly. Especially like he like rewrote the words to being like, this is my song, remember? Yes. Um, and so the, the version that we hear in Love Actually, which we'll talk about a bit later, um, isn't even her original recording. Oh, wow. Yes. So in two, the year 2000, she released a new album called Both Sides Now. This was after she was a p- anointed. Who says that? Anointed. You do, <laughs> apparently. So, so, um, wait, she so. was after she was named one of the 20th century's premier songwriters. Premier. Shut up. <laughs> she releases this album called Both Sides Now. And... It's a compilation slash concept album. I think it has 20 songs or something. Only two of them are her original songs. So it's a lot of covers, her doing covers. Mm-hmm. And she recorded it with an orchestra. And the concept is that the album tells the story of a relationship from its beginning to its end. And the end is both sides is now. both sides now, right. Re- so we're going to... Refl- very reflective. Sure. So we're going to start by hearing that version first. The, we'll come the back. 2000, the 2000 version. Yes, we'll come back to all the other hoopla later. Okay. Um, but let me let me find what a link. what an amazing yeah. setup. And <laughs> this one's this is even more fun because you know how I mentioned that it was an aerial performance during the Vancouver Winter Olympics. Yeah, I need to I I need to understand that a little bit more. Well, we're gonna watch that while we hear the song because it's freaking weird, and they use that version. Okay, so that's what we're gonna watch to 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 view this. Correct. So the record that Alan Rickman buys Emma Thompson in Love Actually is very likely the 2000s compilation record called Both Sides Now. It is. And it features that famous like self-portrait of Joni smoking a cigarette. Smoking a cigarette. Yeah, I'm, I'm like looking at it We'll talk about that right later, now. too. So this is the opening ceremonies of the Vancouver Winter Olympics in 2012. Correct. Through the eyes of a young girl... And her experience growing up in the immense expanse of the Golden Prairie. The Golden Prairie. Who has seen the wind? <laughs> I would walk to the end of the street and out what over the What the prairie. fuck is Donald Sutherland like doing in this? Grasshoppers bunging in arcs Very confusing. Ahead of me and I could hear the hum and Just twang wait. of the wind and the great this prairie so harp bizarre. of I know, I couldn't wait to show you. <laughs> Standing there with a total thrust What's of... What's happening? The but he's the bad guy in the head. Hunger Games. <laughs> I guess I learned at a very he's young very age... He's very gross. ...that I was mortal. W.O. Mitchell. Rose and flows of angel hair and ice cream castles in the air And feather canyons everywhere Looked at clouds that way But now they only block the sun 
Okay, so wait. So he's he's moonwalking on the prairie. Okay. Now he's moon running. This is how they made... This is so weird. This is how they did it in Superman the movie. They just like hug him in a cornfield and he pretended to run. Oh, oh, he's taking off. There he is. She sounds considerably older than the version that I can hear in my head, you know? Uh Uh-huh. I mean, it's like a 50-year difference or whatever, so I get it, but... Huskier. Mm -hmm. He even looks like the boy from Superman the movie. (laughs) Not... No. Was the theme of the Vancouver Winter Olympics... (laughs) Superman. 1979 <laughs> Superman the movie. He's flying like Superman. <laughs> it's Peter Pan. Can you imagine being at the Olympics and being like, what they're the dead silent. Yeah. Like millions of people. Polite Canadians. I've looked at love that But now. It's just another show And you leave them laughing When you go And if you can Don't let them know Don't give yourself away I also think it's interesting that specifically she recorded uh, this song twice, both sides now, from like mm-hmm. both sides of her life, which is um, Cat Stevens did something similar with the song Father and Son. Oh my gosh, that song hurts my heart. It's so good. <laughs> That's a great but, song. But like 50 years later, he recorded a new version where he the young version of himself from 50 years previous was the son and his like old man voice was the father and he's like singing to himself 50 years in the past or whatever it's very good in his original doesn't he kind of do that though like make his throw his voice he does yeah 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 but but this is like they use like a live a live version of him from the 70s and like did a new version in the 2020s
Did you see the Van Gogh exhibit? No, thank you. It was dumb. It was not I, unlike this. It, it was the, this without the without flying. Without the flying. <laughs> yes. I saw the Van Gogh musical, and that's all I needed. There, there was a musical? Oh, oh my God, Lindsay. What? <laughs> Listeners, I'm so sorry that I'm about to do this on a second podcast. What? So... <laughs> Uh, two of my friends, two of my band members were in the pit band for like an, an unauthorized Vincent Van Gogh musical. It's a, it's a, it's called Starry and it's about Vincent and his brother, Theo Van Gogh. No. And yeah. And I, they got me tickets like on the stage and I had to go watch it and it was three hours. It was horrible, horrible. What? And they kept doing it that like the the big like refrain was them going Theo, Theo, Vincent Van Gogh. And so I like had the Theo no, Theo song. No. <laughs> and so on the, S- Theo song. the Theo Theo song. And so on the SVU podcast, this has become like a running gag where people will write in with their Theo sightings and we'll play the little sound effect. What's exciting? Well, you know, if they see a thing that says Theo on it. Okay, okay. Or if they hear hear a thing about Theo Van Gogh. Someone like wrote in about a Jeopardy question about Theo. Ah, okay. Or the Theo chocolate or, you know, whatever. And What's so a Theo chocolate? There's a chocolate brand called Theo. Oh, I didn't know. And so, uh, so, you'll, so there you go. You got the Theo Theo song. <laughs> Fantastic. I'll look it up later. Is it on the internet? It will be in the edit of this episode, don't you worry. I was going to say, should we go out on that maybe later? No, 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 no. no? It'll just, okay. I'll just drop in just the video. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Um, I, great. Have it, so- I have it clipped out of the song and everything. Easy <laughs> peasy. It's been years, Lindsay. It's been like four <laughs> years of this. Oh, no. It's going to be four more on our show now. Oh, uh, great. So you asked me if she's Canadian. That is correct. Roberta Joan Anderson was born in Alberta, Canada in November of 1943. Ooh. Her mother was a teacher and her father was a Royal Canadian Air Force flight lieutenant. So, you know, like army brat kind of traveled around to various bases in Western Canada. <laughs> Western Canada only. <laughs> various bases in Western <laughs> Canada, protecting them from the moose. <laughs> correct. Um, after World War II, they settled in Saskatchewan. Nailed it. Thank you. <laughs> Listeners, that was first try on Lindsay. <laughs> Incredible. Uh, which is a prairie providence in Canada province. that borders Montana province. and North Dakota. Did province. I not say, did I say you providence? Said, you did. <laughs> a prairie you province so in Canada. You were so good with Saskatchewan. <laughs> I was doing so good. 
<laughs> a prairie province in Canada that borders Montana and North Dakota. So, mm. you know, what we just saw. Oh, prairie. yeah. Prairies running. I got you. Vancouver Olympics. Yep. Nailed it. Okay. My mother was a romantic woman, Joni told the Washington Post in 1969. She raised me on Shakespeare as other parents quoted from the Bible. She encouraged me in old-fashioned things. I kept pressed flower scrapbooks. I, too, kept pressed flower scrapbooks. Did you know that about me? No. <laughs> Joni has called herself a painter derailed by circumstance. So, so did Hitler. Wow. Uh, her paintings, as we've already alluded to, have frequently shown up on her album covers. Yes. Um, and she attended art school at the Alberta College of Art in Calgary for one year. We are t in talking entirely too much about Canada in this episode. <laughs> um, she's grown famous for always having a cigarette in her hand. Yeah, and the, the famous uh, portraits on her record covers. Yes, boot, feature right? her smoking, yeah. mostly. Um, she started smoking when she was a child. Uh um by multiple accounts she got polio at nine years old jesus polio what yeah, a cameo her and, her and neil young that's why they're like super they're like best friends anti-vaxxers like they like speak a lot about vaccination because they both had polio i know that uh he i knew that he had polio and i know that they're very very close friends yeah um anyway yeah so uh yeah, she started smoking right after she uh, beat polio. <laughs> yeah, because every day is borrowed time now. <laughs> it's always reported that way together. Like, Mitchell was hospitalized, then she started smoking. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's also then that she got more into singing. So this is her quote. They said I might not walk again and that I would not be able to go home for Christmas. I wouldn't go for it. So I started to sing Christmas carols, and I used to sing them real loud. The boy in the bed next to me, you know, used to complain, and I <laughs> discovered I was a ham. Love that. Yeah. So I guess her doctor, who is a polio survivor as well and used a wheelchair, told her that she would never walk again. And that, coupled with the you can't go home for Christmas, did not sit well with her. She was like, fuck that. Yeah. It's also interesting that she was like she admits that she was a ham because we have or at least I have like this kind of view of her in my head as like a very sh like a shrinking violet who like sings these pretty songs quietly and isn't super like Jenny and Forrest Gump when she's a stripper. Yeah, except for <laughs> not a stripper. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You're just, you're just, you, okay. You're just listing all of the movies in, <laughs> in Lindy West's book now, aren't you? <laughs> Whoops. Um, okay. So Joni said, I just kept working on my legs, working my legs. And then one day I said to them, I want to try and walk. So they wheeled me into this corridor and they lifted me up and I put my arms on these chrome bars. I pulled myself along to the end. I turned myself around. I came back and then I said, now can I go home? Well, you have to wear braces. You'll have to wear, you know, metal lined boots. You'll have like to be in a wheelchair. Gump. And her bedroom was on the second floor of her house. And when she got home, she didn't want her parents to help her with the stairs. I can't be a nuisance to them, you know, so I'm going to have to drag myself up those goddamn stairs one way or another. So I did. So that kind of attitude, you know, the fighting Irish, eh? I guess that's what it is. Side note, this is hey. the exact plot of a short story that I wrote and illustrated in Fuck fifth off. grade. Except the heroine was named Gwen and her motivation for walking was figure skating. You mean like that that movie Cutting Edge? 
except she she couldn't walk. She was in a wheelchair and she oh, like taught that movie. herself how to walk. Oh, like that movie, The Mighty Ducks 3? That's in Mighty Ducks 3? It is. Their coach is like, he like washed out of the pros and I was like, you couldn't hack it. And it's because his daughter got paralyzed. Oh, and he like well, pushes her around the ice. Okay, but did she teach herself to walk? No, she didn't teach herself how to walk. Okay, Lindsay. that's not the plot of my book. Publishers are interested. <laughs> um, but Cutting Edge, incredible film. My dad still says Topic. I've never seen Cutting Edge. What? I know. I don't know, man. Well, like, I'm well, busy. We're not friends. All right. So, yeah, here's Mitchell to the Toronto Globe. I started smoking right after that. I didn't smoke to show off. I smoked alone. <laughs> she said, she referring how she'd she grab her bicycle and ride off into the country, finding solace in nature and a couple of butts. Honestly, I Hell couldn't yeah. have gotten through life without it. Um, so she also told the now defunct Co-Evolution Quarterly in 1976 that she got interested in instrumentation in grade school, but her creativity was squandered by a rigid academic system. That doesn't surprise me at all, especially in the fucking 50s. Right? I wasn't into music. It's interesting. I wanted to play the piano, but I didn't want to take lessons. I wanted to do what I want. I wanted to do what I do now, which is to lay my hand on it and to memorize what comes off of it and to create with it. But my music teacher told me I played by ear, which was a sin, you know, sin. and that I would never be able to read these pieces because I memorize things. Do you know who else quit the piano because they had problems sight reading and would memorize pieces? via the Mozart. way they sounded no fucking me <laughs> oh you yeah <laughs> well you could have been the next Joni Mitchell there's the still Joni time Mitchell. Bill Withers was also the same same thing he like self-taught he was self-taught on piano and the very first song he ever wrote on the piano was lean on me which is fucking I'm so angry at that <laughs> why why does that anger you because it's just one of the greatest songs ever written he's like oh what is this contraption let me Lean sit down on in it. Me. Bum, 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 bum. Um, Joni originally wrote both sides now when she was 23. 23 plus 1943, so 1966? Yeah. Wow. And it was the first hit she ever wrote. But so it was a hit when it came out. It just wasn't as big as... It wasn't her now. hit. Do you whose know whose hit, hit it was? No. Both Sides Now was originally released by folk singer Judy Collins in 1967. Who the fuck is Judy Collins? Right? So here's the, this is the real reason I wanted to do this episode. So I'm like driving in my dad, I'm driving with my dad. He's driving. I'm in the passenger seat. He has like uh, XM radio. Is that what it's called now? Sure. Sirius XM or whatever. Sure. And Both Sides Now comes on and like the cover art shows up on the screen at the car. Mm -hmm. It's Judy Collins. And I'm like, what the fuck? It's yeah, a Joni Mitchell song. So then asshole? I right? So then I Googled it and it's like that was the first release of the song. So oh. that's how I actually went down this rabbit hole. Can we listen to the Judy Collins version? Yes, we're about to listen to this right now. Hey! So <laughs> quick lesson about how, what Judy Collins did with the song. She took it to number three on Billboard charts. She ended up winning the 1969 Grammy for Best Folk Performance for the song. Shit. Now there's also some conflicting information on the internet that claims that Joni won that Grammy that year for In the Clouds, which is the album in which she first recorded both sides now. But, but that, literally the Grammy's website lists Colin as the winner. So and, and In the Clouds didn't In the Clouds come out later? Check on that when that came I out. I think the, it came out close near. 
in the clouds uh the the record right uh-huh is the name of the record yeah oh it's just called clouds clouds okay clouds yeah clouds is is what both sides now is on but it came out right. in 1969 so it could not have won a grammy in 19 but it's the 1969 grammy S- Oh, it was the 1969 Grammys. No, because, no, that doesn't make sense because the original Both Sides Now was released in 66. 67. 67. So it had to have been the 67 or 68 Grammys. Yeah, so I don't get it. Weird. Mystery. It's on the Grammys website. Listeners, help us solve this mystery. Yeah. Something's fucked up. Something's up there, but uh, we're going to listen to Judy Collins. Oh, I do know this version. Mm. Is this the one that you mostly remember? No, I remember the original, um, the original Joni version. But I weirdly just thought this was also Joni. I so can I can I tell say a hot take? Sure. I prefer this version because I prefer the instrument. I like this kind of this cool ding, 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 ding. Yeah, instrumentation. <laughs> it's a little cheerier. Yeah, yeah, it's cool, it, and I like the drums. You know, it's like a, it's 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 popified a little bit. It's ya, it's yassified. <laughs> This is from the the YouTube description. You're listening to the official audio for Judy Collins' Both Sides Now, recently featured in the Toy Story 4 trailer. (laughs) See? See what I mean? Yeah. This is is produced... This would be like if Joni worked with, you know, Phil Spector or something. Um, It's very, very pop-oriented production, which is cool. I like it. This is, this is heavily the rhymes in this are heavily end stopped. Heavily what? End stopped. Like the 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 lines are hair, air, everywhere. Yeah. Sun, done, everyone. She likes Shakespeare. Sure, but not all <laughs> songs are like Big Yellow Taxi's not like this. Okay, great. That was so much fun. That was good. Yeah. Good job, Judy. 
So now that we've heard the song twice, it's time for me to ask you. What's, oh no. What is this song about? Okay, so I know I, I know from listening to you that it is the at least according to 2000 Joni Mitchell, it's like the a, a reflection upon a, a love that that dissolved in some way. Um, should we do a lyrics reading or yes, should I, I got take... those right okay. here. Okay. I'm ready. I'm ready with you. Rows and flows of angel hair and ice cream castles in the air and feather canyons everywhere. I've looked at clouds that way. So I think that this is about clouds. <laughs> <laughs> but now they only block the sun. They rain and snow on everyone. So many things I would have done, but clouds got in my way. I've looked at clouds from both sides now, from up and down and still somehow. It's cloud illusions I recall. I really don't know clouds at all. Moons and Junes and Ferris wheels, the dizzy dancing way you feel, as every fairy tale comes real, I've looked at love that way. But now it's just another show. I'm you trying to be positive here, and you just keep <laughs> shitting on. <laughs> but now it's just another show. You leave them laughing when you go, and if you care, don't let them know. Don't give yourself away. I've looked at love from both sides now, from give and take, and still, somehow, it's love's illusions I recall. I really don't know love at all. Tears and fears and feeling proud to say I love you right out loud. Dreams and schemes and circus crowds. I've looked at life that way. But now old friends are acting strange. They shake their heads and say I've changed. Well, something's lost, but something's gained in every living day and living every day. I've looked at life from both sides now, from win and lose, and still somehow, it's life's illusions I recall. I really don't know life at all. Shit, that's really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a very good song. Um, There's one more. No. Oh, it's the same. It's the same. Okay. Yeah. Great. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that it's relatively, uh, not to make a, a joke here, but it's relatively transparent what the song is about, which is like, there are these idealized versions of of your life's experiences from looking at clouds when you're a kid to falling in love to like life itself. And there is a, a kind of a darker reality to that, that makes you question what you've been doing here this whole fucking time. Sure. And it's kind of the perception of like, sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down and, and you're, I think, you can convince yourself of anything, right? Like right. Ha people say happiness is a choice. So sometimes you're just seeing life through the lens of the fairy tale, which she's kind of calling the illusion. Yeah. And when you're down, you, you are you, the same thing happens where you're like, oh, this person that was up doesn't know what the fuck they were talking about. They don't know anything. Yeah. Right. Uh, this is a very good song. Not really, not an ounce of fat on this song for a song that like is fucking six minutes long or whatever. <laughs> On its re-record. Um, yeah, on the re-record. <laughs> uh, Joni introduced the song this way it, at the White Swan in England on September 16th, 1967. So like very early on in her career with this song specifically. Yes. And notably, she gave the exact same introduction word for word on October 12th, 1967 at 2nd Fret in Philadelphia. So here's what she said. This is a song that talks about sides to things. In most cases, there are both sides to things, and in a lot of cases, there are more than just both. His and hers, his and theirs. But in this song, there are only two sides to things. There's reality and, I guess, what you might call fantasy. There's environment and disenchantment. 
what we're taught to believe things are and what they really are, which is really dark, right? Because she's saying yeah. the dark side is the real side. I I, th- I think that the lyrics bear that out. The dark yeah. side always gets the last word. Yeah. Um, and and that might also be why I like the pop version because it balances that out a little bit more. Yeah. I really like pop songs with dark lyrics in general. Mm-hmm. It's a little fun, if you can call it fun, contrast. Yeah, texture. <laughs> um, also in late 1967, she introduced the song like this, which gives a little bit more context into mm. what she was thinking when she wrote it. Ooh, context. <laughs> a short time ago, a friend gave me a book called Henderson the Rain King. And I started to read it, but I never got finished. I got halfway through and sort of left the whole plot up in the air, literally, and got inspired to write the next song. Now Henderson, the character in the book, it was one of those people who was born with everything going for them. At least it looked that way on paper. He was a multimillionaire, and uh, that was a good start, I suppose. But he wasn't happy. He'd been married twice and was contemplating a third marriage and wasn't really sure that he liked her very much. He was very guilty about his wealth because it was inherited. (laughs) And so he tried to be earthy and get his hands into the soil. He tried pig ranching. He figured that was pretty earthy and he decided that he didn't like pigs. So one day his friends who were about to leave for America on a honeymoon said, well, why don't you come along with us? And that sounds really peculiar, but they were getting married for something like the third time themselves. So he said, well, I'll go along with you. And he did. And while he was up in the plane to Africa. What? Anyway, here's so, Wonderwall. So one day his friends who were about to leave for Africa on honeymoon. Sure. <laughs> While he was up in the plane to Africa to find out what life was all about for him, he looked out the plane window and said, um, you know, look at those clouds down there. It's very strange to look at the clouds from above them. From I both remember, sides now. Yeah, I remember as a boy having dreamed up at the clouds a lot and having seen the cloud from both sides now, I suppose I shouldn't really be amazed by anything. Hear the drums echo into nine. <laughs> right. And I like the idea of clouds from both sides and Joni Strums. Some of the other things from both sides. I call my song From Both Sides Now. Jesus, that's 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 such a long fucking intro. Such a long intro. Um, But now we can listen to her original version. Yes, I'd love to listen to her original version, which is in my, if I like, I'm searching for it in my mind's ear, this is the one that I hear. Rose and flows of angels. Ice cream castles in the air And feather canyons everywhere I've looked at clouds that weave But now they only block the sun I think we can also talk a little bit about like the purity of folk music right like this is this is just one person and a guitar yeah and i think that the folk artists of the 60s were so so concerned with authenticity that they lost like i 
really do enjoy the pop production better, but I, I bet you Joni was like, fuck that. That waters down my message or whatever. Uh, well, Judy Collins was a friend of Joni's, and Judy, uh, Joni was nobody, which is why she sure. sold the song to Collins at that time. She was... She had some famous friends. She was performing in New York City, or she was, yeah, performing in New York City, hanging out in, you know, the spots where more famous people were playing. Sure, yeah, and so she made some friends and le- sold them her songs. Sure. She's probably. Which, which my mom texts me all the time. And, and she's like, Have you thought about selling some of your songs? <laughs> yeah, yeah, mom. I have thought about that. <laughs> you would freak. If so, if if I sold one of my songs, I think, and you're like, you wouldn't like how they did it. Probably not, but I would like having money. True, don't but we that all? but that that is like the why don't you just call and see if SNL is hiring sort of. Advice. Sure, sure. <laughs> like it's so easy. Just yeah, sell yeah, your yeah. songs. Yeah, yeah, happy to. But I'm just saying, I don't think you would be happy. No, probably not. But you'll never be happy. I. That's also true. <laughs> Yeah, have you read the lyrics of the song? She's only like 20-something. Yeah, right. She's 23 talking about like, uh, old friends drift apart and... and, and we're getting on in years. <laughs> I mean, also, like, I'm, I'm also trying to imagine, like, being a folk musician in the 60s and hearing a 23-year-old woman that looks like this sing this song for the first time like how are you not how is she not like the idol of all of the folk scene right in, in, well she got there yeah I, I mean i know i know that she she dated like everybody off and on what what, what, what are you implying D- nothing just that everyone was in love with her okay let's make sure <laughs> what were you implying I thought you were implying that she like slept her way to fame. No, 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 no. The I think the opposite. I think everybody wanted to be close to her. Yeah. Because she was so good. We're kind of talking about how, oh, she's so young and she's saying this prolific misery Very guts. Very thoughtful thing. <laughs> yeah. um, but she was in a lot of emotional pain during her early songwriting years. Well, she had fucking polio. Yeah, but do you know the story about her daughter? No, that uh, she lost a daughter. She like gave a daughter away or something? Correct. Yeesh. Yeesh. I don't know so, the circumstances under, under any of this. Well, I'm about to tell you. Please. Um, okay, so in 1964, Joni was 20 years old, mm-hmm. 20, little baby, and she became pregnant. And she was in art school, and the father, Brad... Are we Mc- saying became pregnant now and not got pregnant? 
Is that, is that a new thing? <laughs> I, well, I'm asking you. <laughs> Pregnancy happened to her. <laughs> she got knocked up. Sure. The, the father is Brad McMath. Oh, <laughs> McMath. McMath, like McMath, McScience, McReading. Yes. McHistory. Yes. Okay. McPhysics. McPhysics. How it's old was Mac. he? It's like Big Mac. McDonald's. Mac, Mac Math. Math. Mac Mathematics. Yes. Ma- Mathematics. Yeah. We have to move on. I'm going to do this all We're day. moving on. Um, so Joni said, he left me three months pregnant in the attic room with no money and winter coming on and only a fireplace for heat. The spindles Jeez. of the banister were gap-toothed, fuel for last winter's occupants. So, okay. There's, there's a couple things at play here. Okay. Tell me. A, like... It's the 1960s, so like I understand, like I understand that it's not modern day, but it's not like the fucking prairie, Joni. <laughs> Cities, ex- airplanes have been invented. I'm not saying that you can afford an airplane, but the the she's so good at writing, and her, her writing is so evocative that it, it sounds all, like I almost can't relate to it because it's like it's like uh, I'm reading a Jane Austen book or a Charlotte Bronte book. Sure. And I do kind of feel this way throughout. As I tell you this story, as I was reading about it, there was a little bit of like, I felt like it was, I didn't want to feel this way, but she was coming off disingenuous and kind right. of like over dramatic, which I hate saying, I hate when we call women over dramatic, but it just feels that way. And I think it feels that way because if you are actually at, you know, we have the benefit of hindsight now, she like didn't die. But if you're at risk of dying of hypothermia, you're not like thinking about the best synonym f- to, for the threadbare carpet or the gap toothed banister. You're like, it's fucking cold. <laughs> sure. So, yeah, I think that I think that there is some romanticization in the style of her writing. And I don't want to necessarily conflate that with like romanticizing the circumstances that happened to her. Yeah. But I have the same I have the same instinct where I'm like, <laughs> shut up. Yeah, totally. I mean, either way, McMath sounds like a real deadbeat. Yeah. Um, how do we know how old he was? I don't, but I would love you to maybe Google that. What's his name? Charles McMath? Brad. 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 It's uh, it's all fake anyway, MacMath. <laughs> um so Brad McMath. Uh, was a portrait photographer. Yep. He was born in 42, so he's only a year older than she is. Okay, so they're both in their 20s. So that's slightly better than if he was like 48 and knocked up a 20-year-old. I got Slightly. Um, in 1996, the Vancouver province interviewed him. Mm. So, so very, it wasn't even like he fucked off and no one could find him. He was just like living his life. Yeah, he just left her. Good job. And Brad. never talked to her again. Um, and the he told the Vancouver province said that he he told them that he had not spoken to her since he left, and he that he felt he bad. Also, maybe no, he didn't really seem to feel bad at all. And they reported that he also had another daughter he hadn't seen in years since his breakup with her mother. What an alpha move! A Californian woman. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Good job, um, Brad. Spread his, that seed, Brad. Right. His account is they, quote, really didn't want to get married and settle down. We went and visited some friends who had kids, and it didn't look too exciting. An old friend say I've changed. <laughs> she said it was my kid. We'd been pretty tight for most of that year, but when this thing happened, everything started falling apart. Weird. Weird, right? 
I maybe don't blame the kid. Maybe maybe blame you leaving your pregnant girlfriend in an attic. Completely. You know, we said it's the early '60s. The times are different, um, which not that I think different. is also hard for us to grasp, unless she's again over dramatizing it. Mm-hmm. Um, like she said that unwed mothers were shunned, cast out, despised yeah, by society. Sure. I th- I think so. if you're not living in New York, I mean, even in a place like New York City or L.A., that would probably still happen. But like, if you're if you're living on the fucking plains or whatever, yeah, uh, you 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 disappear for nine months and then you come back kind of puffy. And I mean, she's not a teenager; she's twenty. I guess that's like prime marrying age. So. She couldn't go to her parents, she said, and she told the Los Angeles Times, the scandal was so intense. A daughter could do nothing more disgraceful. It ruined you in a social sense. You have no idea what the stigma was. It was like you murdered somebody. Good job, Joni. <laughs> I, I kind of mean this like, like, honestly, like it's good that she is talking about it. Sure. Destigmatizing <laughs> single motherhood or something. I don't know. When did she say this in the in the L.A. Times? I'm assuming like 1965 or something. Like, mm, no. Oh, never mind. Then. She's 1997. Oh, <laughs> fuck you, Joni. <laughs> I mean, but like literally, like you said, oh, things haven't changed that much, and that's true. Like crazy people are currently calling cell ejection murder. So yeah, 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 Re- uh, and miscarriages and all kinds of I mean, really, really, I don't know, really fucking bad. So Joni told the Washington Post that her gift for music was, quote, born out of tragedy, really, and loss. I, I lost my daughter at 21. I had to give her up because I was broke. No place to take her. No money to take her. That was very traumatic. So her daughter was born in 1963 or something? Uh, 64 or 65. Okay. She so became her, pregnant in 64. Her daughter is like our, could be our parents' age. Yeah, because she's, what, 78 or something now? Yeah, so, right. So maybe... No, a little younger. A little younger. But journalist Robert Hilborn points out in the post something that I think is worth noting, that despite the anguish beneath the songs, the music was never morbid. In fact, it was often jaunty, worldly, witty, and above all honest. Right, and I think that that speaks to the kind of romanticization that, that we both identified in, like, her describing her condition mm-hmm. like she doesn't do that in her music which is why we believe her right she's a little bit more matter of fact and isn't like isn't like celebrating how morbid it was right at all yeah it's like she was keeping that pain for herself really um yeah and it was during this morning period that she wrote both sides now shit once she became successful that naturally only intensified her grief and guilt Guilt for sure. Yeah. So like she puts her daughter up for adoption. She has nothing. Then all of a sudden she makes it big and she finally had the means to take care of her daughter, but it was too late. So I guess she like put her daughter into foster care and was like trying to make money to go get her. To go get her. And then she eventually got adopted. Did she ever reunite with her daughter? Yes. Hell yeah. I love a happy ending. (laughs) Well, don't get your hopes up yet. Oh shit. We're going to watch a little clip about Joni talking about giving up her daughter. Great. This clip's going to be a little bit long. We're going to hear about two minutes of it. You okay with that? Yeah, I love clips. 
you go to Toronto, uh, and by the way, of course, you, you have it's the child. Toronto. Uh, you put the child up for adoption. You, you find your daughter many years later, and we've we've heard some of that. But story. let's clear up something that people Please. assume ero erroneously, and I see it written again and again and again, that <laughs> that I gave up my daughter to further my career. This is so wrong. There was no career. My music at that point. First of all, I was just a folk singer. You know, it was just it was just. There was no ambition, there was no, you know, I had a nice voice, I guess, I played okay, you know, but there was no real gift that, you know, it was just something that was happening and was going to die out soon, mm -hmm. you know. It was a way to get money to smoke, you know, and to have a Ooh. pizza and go to a movie and to bowl, because that's what I did at art school too. I came in there with no frills, you know, I had to earn half my fare at art school because my parents disapproved. And there was nothing left over. So singing in the clubs was fun. And it afforded me a little bit of income that I wouldn't have had. Jody, when did you know it was more than fun? Uh, that you were, you actually did. You were more when than I made just a, a bad marriage. When I, made a, when I married Chuck Mitchell, you know, I should have been a runaway bride on, on our wedding day. You know, even his mother said, uh, you know, of him, he was the, referred to him as the first waffle and said it should be used to warm up the pan and then thrown the out. The first waffle. He behaved so selfishly <laughs> on his wedding day. I, if I'd known about runaway brides, I would have, you know. He, and uh, so it, it didn't last very long. And like they say, if you make a good marriage, God bless you. If you make a bad marriage, become a philosopher. Hmm. So, you know, both sides now and all of those songs that came out of that were... You know, to get away from him, I would go down to the Toddle House. We lived in the black neighborhood there, you know, and I would sit there and drink coffee and write. And so the writing began to happen. You know, he tried to gain ownership of it. I He set up a publishing Fuck. company. I had him set up, too, because I knew I had to get out of that marriage, you know. Um, but the, the thing that keeps getting written is that I gave up my daughter in order to further my career. This is just not so. The What was done at that time was you didn't even see the daughter. You, you, you didn't have an, the right thing to do to protect your parents was to get out of town, go into a home. Well, in 65, the homes were full. So many girls got cut out because the, everything was changing. Yeah. Movies were getting sexier. It was very confusing to be a young woman there. What's right? You know, everything was changing. And the pill was not available. So there were a lot of unwed children born in 1965, more than could be adopted. And all the homes were full, you know. So it was very difficult to survive. I mean, at the time I had her, I was destitute, you know. And if, uh, there was no way I could take her out of the hospital into a blizzard with no job, no roof over my head. There was no way I could take her. And there weren't even foster homes available at that time because there was such a glut of unwed children. But she was beautiful, and they, she found her way into a foster home. And I tried to get work and get a setup that I could bring her to. Well, in that time period, I couldn't get any work in Toronto because I couldn't get 160 bucks to get into the union. You know, I was beset by predators, you know, like people trying to take advantage of the situation. I won't name names, but name names. a lot of human ugliness came at me because I was in a white slavers. White I mean, slavers. you wouldn't believe the gauntlet you have to run when you're young. I don't love the term. I mean, I understand. I understand what you're saying, and I agree with it. But I don't love the term. In there, you know, out of disrespect. Uh, yeah. So, how do you feel? Um, I feel conflicted. 
No, I don't feel conflicted. I feel kind of angry. Yeah, she all she's just a a kid that can play the guitar for cigarette money and bowling mm-hmm. money and she's broke. But the idea that she had like designs on a career in singing pro- it was probably just impossible. Like you couldn't even fathom that. Right. You wouldn't even consider it. And honestly like so so the the other thing I'm conflicted about is like if someone gives up a baby because they don't have, you know, they don't have access to abortion, they choose whatever, whatever reason. Right. But if even if someone gives up a baby because they want to further their career, like it's kind of their decision. Like, I'm not going to I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, totally. Jo- and judge Joni right? Mitchell gave up a baby so she could be a singer. Like, oh, OK, is that baby? Did right. that baby get fucking abused and die? I mean, ultimately, it's like, what do you want from someone who doesn't want a kid right like you can't have an abortion but you can't give it up and you also can't use like contraception so she so she's like she has no i mean this is like the plight of women forever but she just has no control over her her body or her career or her decisions her ex-husband like tried to steal all of her publishing which is like he knew something was up Mm -hmm. really yeah and i think it was no, it wasn't Chuck. So Chuck Mitchell is her husband. Um, the guy, McMath, Brad McMath, said in his really weird Toronto interview that, uh, like, Joni didn't want to have an abortion. Okay. So, like, her, say her what you want decision. about her. Right. It's her decision. There's no, stigma, I, there's no stigma against abortion. But I think she feels victimized by this idea that she gave up a baby, even though some people might say, oh, it's the noble thing to do. Like, we all saw Juno. Did we yeah. judge her or did we think she was the hero? Well, right? yeah, that's also like a 40 year different difference. I think she feels victimized, but I, but that, you know, if you dig a little deeper, it's just the guilt, right? Still though feels victimized. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I think it's just because of the guilt that she still feels for having to do that. And when people reduce that decision to, well, I just wanted to be famous that like hurts her because clearly that wasn't a easy decision for her to make same same thing with like reducing women who have abortions to like well she just wants to be slutty and not have consequences so she's gonna have an abortion whenever she wants you know to which i to which i i have the same opinion which is like cool like if that's what she wants to do great but it doesn't seem like it was an easy decision for Joni to make. And it doesn't seem like it's an easy decision for anyone to make. And she was clearly in a lot of pain about it. Still, this, this is an interview from 2017 and she's like on the verge of tears. Yeah. And that's after she'd been reunited with her daughter. So in the clip, she mentioned her marriage to Chuck Mitchell. Great guy. Chuck Mitchell was a a cabaret performer from Detroit. Cabaret performer. (laughs) Joni. There were warning signs. Right? He was playing at the Penny Farthing in Toronto at the time, and she married him 36 hours after they met. Oh, okay. So he was gay. <laughs> um, allegedly, he told her that he would take care of her and help her get her baby and her career off the ground. Yikes. Have you seen uh, Last Night in Soho? No, but I want it's to. It's good. There, there, there's a character that's similar to that that kind of preys upon Anya Taylor-Joy who's just like I can be your manager and I'm in love with you 
ladies, yeah. don't fuck your manager. Gentlemen, don't fuck your manager. Gentlemen, if you're a manager, don't try to fuck your clients. I mean, that's a common theme, right? Like there's even like a joke in in um how I met your mother, right? Like Barney's always womanizing and preying on women and lying to them. Yeah. And one of his bits is that he tells them like he, he's like Talent a scout he, or something. Yeah. yeah, something like that. But, you, know, you know, Celine Dion's married to her fucking manager, so what do I know? He's dead. Ooh, R.I.P. Jean Pierre. <laughs> uh, I think his name's Rene. Yeah, Rene. R.I.P. Renest in peace. <laughs> Um, anyway, so something changed, right? So one month into the marriage, he chickened out. I chickened out. This is Joni. The marriage had no basis except to provide a home for the baby. And then, and they didn't even do that. No. And they were married for two years. And then after their split, Joni went to New York city and that's when she started making, you know, friends and important connections and getting her music out there more. I wonder what the Canadian divorce laws were like, because in the States up until 1974 or so, like. A, a woman could not initiate a divorce unless there was infidelity. Mm. So, like, they were married for. She knew, like, after a couple months that that this was doomed. But they were married for two years, right? And I wonder if that is like uh, how long she, if she had the agency to do it herself, how long she would have waited. So, for most of Joni's career, she kept the loss of her daughter a secret. But in 1993, dun dun dun. An old art school roommate from the 1960s sold the story to a journalist. Oh, fuck that. Right? In 1993? Yeah. Yeah. Why is like, why is that? Like, how much money do you need? How much money are you getting in 1993 for like a hot, hot button story that Joni Mitchell gave up a child 30 years prior? Yeah, I really have no context. I mean, we heard that like one photo of Paris Hilton would garner like a million dollars. But that's Paris Hilton and 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 Paris Hilton was like young and hot at the time. And and like not that Joni Mitchell was never irrelevant was ever irrelevant, but like she wasn't like it wasn't the 19 it wasn't 1968 when she has a hit song. No, I know? know that's what I'm saying I have nothing to compare it to. Yeah, it's crazy. Now there is a mention of bearing a child she couldn't keep in the 1982 song chinese cafe slash unchained melody so i think i sure that up but for us. are you eating while hosting <laughs> no what are you talking about i hear you like crunching on peanuts <laughs> but if it's a song lyric there's plausible deniability except for that guy that was put away for rapping about that murder that he committed oh god but yes no i know um I don't think this is like her outing herself. I'm just doing my due right. diligence and sharing this with you and our listeners. But but there's like an interesting thing, right? Where you like you share your secrets in this kind of coded. I'm guilty of this too, right? Where you like you you're like working through shit, but there's enough metaphor and plausible deniability in in songwriting in general that like you can just you can just say your secrets out loud in front of everybody. Yeah. I even feel like that too. Like I've written about some really personal stuff that I would never even like tell my friends, but then I'll just write about it and publish it. And yeah. then I'm like, oh my fuck, people I know are reading this. <laughs> but there's like, there's like levels of, uh, of separation. Yeah. When you just imagine yeah. a bunch of randos reading it and you're faceless. So this is Chinese cafe slash unchained melody. Ooh. 80s Joni Mitchell's weird. Weird. I have this record. 
synth is 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 not unexpected. <laughs> Just came in out of nowhere. Yeah, Joni goes electric. <laughs> This is what I mean by not super invested in rhymes. My child's a stranger I bore her. Could not raise her. Nothing lasts for long. So there you go. There you go. She just straight up says it. She said she privately searched for her daughter for years. And then once the story came out, she launched a full-on public campaign to find her. The, you know, you want to, this is a weird kind of math thing, numerology thing, right? So she gave up her daughter in 1965 to 6 to 7, right? I think 5-ish. She got pregnant in 64. Yeah. yeah, so 1965. She found her in 1997, right? Correct. So it's 32 years. Mm-hmm. Half of 32 is 16. So add 16 from the year that she gave up her child. And she, re- she writes and releases this song basically in the exact middle moment between giving up her kid and finding her again. Whoa. Also, the fact that you just like wizardly did that math and thought to do it is so weird. <laughs> it works a little bit better if she gave up her kid in 1967. That would be like cleaner, but still. <laughs> Give or take six months. (laughs) We're going to watch a little clip, though. Another clip. Okay. Let's do a clip. I love clips. This is a clip about her finding her daughter. Show me your clips. Her daughter's name is Killarin? Yes. Killarin. Killarin Gibbon. That's a bad fucking name. I know. That's a bad fucking name, man. Incredibly strong drive to find her songbird is very reductive when she's been a songbird for 30 years so tell them what that says oh yeah so it says songbird Joni mitchell searches for the love child she had at 19 she was like a little kid love child is also kind of fucked up Joni's face i also thought she had her at 20 but okay so it might be that num- those numbers might be right. We're burning brightly, clinging like fire to fuel. I'm grinning like a fool. Stay in touch. We both were very excited about meeting. I'm thinking, you know, what if she doesn't like me? Probably she won't like me. You know, there's going to be issues here. She arrived and I was upstairs and I was painting. So I walked out on the balcony of the house and I saw her kind of in the dark. It was like Romeo and Juliet. She had some paintbrushes in her hand. And uh, when we met at the front door in the kitchen with hugs, it felt like I had gone away on a trip for a couple months and I was coming home. Holy shit. They don't look the same. Their voices are identical. Yep. Joni doesn't look like a grandmother or acts like a grandmother. She's like a mother of the three of us. Sure, no doubt that's always been a dream. 
fake and duty shapers. It's like the master's class in love. True altruistic. Honestly, good for her that she got to like experience motherhood of a child, which seems like something that she wanted. Discovery that you can only experience through your relationship with a child. It was a healing thing. Yes, it was very coming full circle. She was always truthful in her work, and maybe the fact that she had not wanted to the, acknowledge the, that she had I like can't get over the fucking voice. the voice missing apart. piece and with this piece no. complete not only was her family complete but in a weird way her work was complete because a woman's work is having a baby oh yeah a woman's work is having a baby yeah fuck you dude yeah but I guess they're no longer close oh that's sad I read some testimonies that they had problems that the daughter Kiloran had abandonment issues no sh- why <laughs> in 2001 um i guess the police were called to mitchell's home because she allegedly slapped her the daughter who slapped who mm, Joni slapped killoran allegedly yikes in 2013 um but in 20 no in 2001 in 2013 Joni told the toronto star that they'd reconciled after that she said Gib had abandonment issues and she was pretty rough on me and conscripted my granddaughter, but we've worked through all of that. We reminisced about all the little tricks we pulled and the ways we can hurt each other. That's over. We're going to see each other soon. I hope that that's tr- true. You know, though we're sounds, going to see each other soon is what kills me. Yeah. It's, uh, it's not we see each other all the time. Yeah. And listen, like, Joni's lived a hard life, and there's nothing, like, she wasn't ready to be a mom at 20, like, she, like, like, you know, I I understand that even though she desperately loves her daughter, she might not be the best mom, because of also her fucking abandonment issues. Right. And most of us have them. Yeah. And we weren't actually abandoned. (laughs) Exactly. All right, so should we, before we get out of here, talk about Love Actually? Oh, why, why the fuck not? Let's <laughs> toss that one in. Um, how does the song play into the film, do you recall? Yeah, so uh, Alan Rickman is, a non, is like nondescript boss person, and uh, he's being relentlessly pursued by his assistant who dresses like the devil at a, For a Christmas, Christmas party, party. <laughs> which doesn't make any sense and is like 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 really laying it on pretty thick in terms of like I think that there's opening a point her in which legs. she like opening her open open opens her legs um and so Rickman goes shopping for his wife for Christmas, buys this potential mistress. They didn't, I don't think that they actually ever consummated anything, buys this potential mistress a necklace and mm-hmm. buys his wife, played by Emma Thompson, the great Emma Thompson, a Joni Mitchell CD. And she like sees, she's. It's the it's Both this, Sides Now album, the remastered 2003. Yes. Reorchestrated. Yeah. 2001 reorchestrated. Right. The movie takes place in 2003. Talks a lot about 9 11. Um, And so, but she like snoops and she like sees that he bought a necklace. And then when, so when she gets the CD, it's publicly, it's in front of the kids and she has to pretend like she likes it. And then she not only knows 
that the necklace isn't for her, but like figures out that the necklace is for somebody else. And he finds her listening to both sides now no, in their bedroom. We do. We just we see do, that. but oh, right. And the fool thing is at the play after, yeah, right. So, so there's just like a scene of Queen Emma Thompson listening to Joni Mitchell and like folding a sheet or a sweater <laughs> or something <laughs> and crying. She like wipes away a tear. Um, yeah, yeah, that yeah. was a very good reenactment recollection. I know, I know a lot about. I've seen Love Actually <laughs> way too many times. Movie sucks. Same. Um. I'm going to read now from a Financial Times piece, and this is from the column The Life of a Song, and it's called Both Sides Now, How Joni Mitchell Reclaimed Her 1966 Song Later in Life by Peter Aspden. Aspden? A-S-P-D-E-N, Aspden. Aspen, Aspden. Oh, that's a weird one. It's a weird one. It's one of the most famous scenes in modern British cinema. False. Harry, Alan Rickman, and Karen... Emma Thompson. Married and middle-aged, exchange Christmas gifts by the tree, children watching excitedly. Karen unwraps her small package and finds a Joni Mitchell CD, both sides now. She is devastated. She was expecting something else. The necklace she found in Harry's coat pocket was not for her after all, but for another woman. And she retreats to the bedroom and cries. An orchestra swells gently as Karen played with the heart-rending sadness by Emma Thompson, attempts to come to terms with the brutal realization of her husband's infidelity. A neat device. It is the title track of the very CD she has just been given. Quote, to continue your emotional education, said Harry. Oh, right. I forgot. Let's patronizing motherfucker. (laughs) Because just let's just tell them in case they don't know. um, There's a song, a, a moment when she says i love joni mitchell and true love lasts a lifetime and it's joni mitchell that like taught your cold english wife to feel right yeah 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 they, 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 that is a a running joke that they have but still like don't say that right no i that's I, a I thing agree. that she can say that you cannot say i Alan. agree it is patronizing so yeah so he says that and mitchell's voice comes in to comfort her while she's in her room crying and at this point in the i don't would, know if it's comforting i would sure. like you to play this part okay after i say uh, from the mitchell's movie? voice comes in to comfort her i want you to play i've looked at love from both sides now from give not and take comforting. it's still not, somehow it's love's illusions I'm i recall <laughs> i really don't know love at all what you're not I'm doing currently it? Currently, not, not comforted. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we play it. It's a CD. Joni yeah. Mitchell, wow. To continue your emotional education. Yes. <laughs> Goodness. Well, that's great. My brilliant wife. Ah, yes. Actually, um, do you mind if I just absent myself for a second? All that ice cream. Uh, darling, could you make, just make sure the kids are ready to go? All right, no, I'll be back in a minute. Moons and dunes and Ferris wheels. Love, illusion, deception, and heartbreak are common themes in Joni Mitchell's work. And her most famous song provides Richard Curtis's otherwise lightweight love actually Not with her most famous song. By far, it's most affecting moment. Mitchell's voice is a little also weary. False. 
breathy, hoarse, with hard-won wisdom. The album Gifted to Karen is an album of jazz classics recorded in 2000 when Mitchell was in her late 50s. It's closing song, Both Sides Now, one of only two from her own songbook, acts as a summation of all that she has learned about love, that its meaning continues to evade her even after all these years. So, I asked you if Both Sides Now is the new Hallelujah, and I'm not sure that I've convinced you yet. I don't think that you've convinced me yet, but but I I was not aware that uh, that it it became famous from a cover first. Okay, so uh, I'm going to read from Huffington Post: "The Agony and Ecstasy of Joni Mitchell's Both Sides Now," an inescapable oh, soundtrack man. song. Wasn't there like an agony and ecstasy of Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah too? Uh huh. There right. was. Okay, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> so maybe I can bolster my argument a little here. <laughs> Both Sides Now has soundtracked or provided fodder for umpteen films and TV classics starting long before 2018. Two episodes of The Wonder Years, Sesame Street, You've Got Mail, Life as a House, Love Actually, the 2010 Winter Olympics opening ceremony, Mad Men, Steve Jobs, the 2017 Oscars in memoriam segment. Fuck. Bleed. <laughs> Because its lyrics explore dualities, give and take, win and lose, up and down, the anthem has come to mean different things in different contexts. Universality is its appeal, and perhaps its curse. It can be melancholic or hopeful, sticky or sweet, a dreamer's optimism or a realist heartache. The wistful current running beneath both sides now italicizes a potency that now risks being overplayed. A cold and a broken hallelujah. (laughs) The pilot of the wonder years. First tapped into its delicate anguish in 1988, exploring Mitchell's clouds finale, while the show's hero, Kevin Arnold, narrates recollections of his suburban adolescence. After positioning the series in a turbulent 1968, the year that Martin Luther King Jr. and Bobby Kennedy were assassinated, Kevin announces, I guess it really was my last summer of pure, unadulterated childhood. The song plays and we see him tossing a football with neighborhood friends, home movie style. The memory is grainy and nostalgic. Their duality is immediately clear. The events are happy ones, but they are colored by what an adult would recognize as disheartening loss of youth. Sure. At this point, no matter how clever its usage, this ditty feels a bit cliched. It's been covered more than 1,000 times, including by Sarah Borelli's during the 2017 Oscars Mournful in in Memory. Excuse me? In (laughs) Memoriam. Sarah Borelli's? Sarah (laughs) Borelli's. With every film or television broadcast that puts it to use, both sides now risk being taken for granted. Its meaning shifted to fit storytellers' whims. But the fact that it's been repurposed this much amid this many di- among this many diverging mantras makes all too much sense. Mitchell's nostalgic, somewhat mystical lyrics can handle varying interpretations, but they always rely on the same thesis. Life, whether on the ground or in the clouds, contains agony and ecstasy. I don't know if I agree with that take. All right, tell us. Because even Mitchell herself said, like, the darkness wins, right? Yes. It's about shedding childish things, putting aside the childish things. So honestly, I think that the Wonder Years had it more right than this guy who's like, it's love, it's give and take, it's, it's up and down. It's up, but up is an illusion. Right. It's only down. I agree that that is how Joni wrote it. Yeah, I mean, I don't mean to be like Daniel Downer here, but... I mean, she is experiencing ups, but like but, you said, uh, the, ups the are, down gets yeah. the last word. Yeah, the down always gets the last word. And therefore, what are we going out on this week? <laughs> this week, we're going out on another song that has been co-opted by the media. That's Joni's. The Counting Crows version of Big Yellow Taxi. 
Negative. <laughs> this is River as performed in The Politician. When did The Politician I've come out? I've never seen The Politician. Oh, shit. 2018 or so. That's horrid that you haven't seen it. This isn't is going to be as funny. Sorry. So let me set this oh, up. Oh, he's singing it. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> okay, so this is a dead kid named River that the whole show is like, did he kill River or Wait. not? Wait, whoa, wait, wait, wait. Who's a dead kid named River? Okay, when you start it, there's like a p- photo on the piano of a dead person, a dead teenager named River. And, and, the, and the question is whether Ben Platt yes. possessed marionette doll Ben Platt killed Murdered River. Him. And River is also the name of the record of the song. Of the song. He's singing a song named River. About someone... Publicly in school about murdered. someone that he might have murdered. So let's watch this. Okay. okay Three, two, go. one, go. It's coming on. Why does he Christmas. have a career? You're cutting down a tree. Putting up reindeer. I mean, he's very good, he's good at yeah. this role that he plays. I liked the show. I could skate away. He's doing a good Joni impression too. Like he's got the essence, the like open jawed essence that she sings with. It's just hilarious that he's singing this. Who's this fucking Steve Harrington motherfucker? <laughs> That's River. That's River. So okay, so if you if you may have murdered me. <laughs> What song would you sing at my memorial to make uh, everyone think that you didn't murder me? To think I didn't or did? Didn't. Well, so did, after this, does everyone think he did murder or didn't murder? What is his goal in the This is like song? the very early episodes. And then the whole show after this is like, did he murder him? Okay. So if you're trying to cover up the fact that you murdered me. What song would I sing? What song would you sing at my at my memorial in a high school gymnasium? <laughs> I think I would sing, I think, I would sing Nobody, No Crime by Taylor Swift. <laughs> Great. Perfect. <laughs> I think that might draw attention to yourself. <laughs> well, if you murdered me, what song would you use to cover it up? Scenes from an Italian restaurant. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Where can people find us on the internet, Lindsay? Find us on the internet at Lyrics for Lunch on Instagram and Twitter and at lyricsforlunch.com you can support the show there which would be great and for longer and weirder stuff hit us up at lyricsforlunch at gmail.com if you want to hear the Theo Theo song some more if you want us to do an episode on the Theo Theo song let us know let us know what songs you want to hear yeah and like like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast rate and review and uh, tune in next week when we are going to finally get to one that uh, 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 an, uh, an episode that has been oft requested and I even requested it of myself but I'm finally going to do it we're going to talk about the sex pistols Woohoo! so until then I'm Aviv Rubenstein I'm Lindsay Tucker saying I wish I had a river that I could skate away on I've looked at the whole thing.